Hey, everybody, and welcome to Touchline Thoughts, powered by the Garage Door Sports Network. I'm your host, Irfan Manji. Today's episode is a bit different in the sense that we have a new segment to debut, as well as the introduction of a new guest. But before I can introduce him, why don't you get comfortable and we will meet you in a bit. My guest today brings to us a plethora of experience, not only as a player, but as an analytical brain and as a coach. I have with me the assistant coach for the University of Toronto's women's soccer team and League One coach, Kieran Doyle Davis. Hey, buddy, how you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to make an appearance. Awesome. Well, we're really happy to have you because now you're going to be a resident coach. So I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's always fun to hear from people on the other side of the touchline about what's going on. Awesome. Um, so since Kieran is on our show today, I would like to introduce everyone to a new segment called Through the Coach's Eyes. So Kieran, as a coach, priority is placed on players, personnel, and obviously setting your team up, whether that is to counter your opponent or emphasize your th- team strengths. So I was speaking to Kieran prior to all of this and based on our conversation we're going to cover the formations for this segment uh the interchangeable back threes or fives the four four threes and the four four two variants um obviously kieran's a coach he has more knowledge in that so uh we're gonna let him uh, run the conversation and as well i'm gonna do my best to to ask him the questions that i think our audience would would like to know from him so kieran You know, when you're growing up playing soccer, um, the most common formation your coach is going to put you in, especially when you're younger, is a 4-4-2 or something similar to a 4-4-2. As a coach, what could you draw from this formation? Yeah, I think 4-4-2s are interesting to think about, especially in Canada, because if you think about um, the basis for most of our youth soccer here, uh, a lot of the, the foundational coaches we have were people who, who immigrated to Canada from England, from Ireland, from Scotland, from Wales, where 442 was was pretty much the dominant shape you would play in for, for 30 years, 40 years. And so a lot of those people brought that with them and that kind of became the basis for what we were exposed to as kids. I know when I played the the first four three three I ever saw was with the provincial team, mm-hmm. um, and even that was less four three three than four four two, and I didn't play a four four two or a, a four three three fully until university, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's true for a lot of kids. Now, today it's a little bit different with um, the emergence of OPDL and the development system we have now, where um, teams are a little bit more rigid in terms of being forced to play 4-3-3s to expose them to different roles and stuff. Uh, but I think 4-4-2s are still really important. Um, the The big thing at its basis is that it's it's really good for teaching individual responsibility and, and organization and um, defensive principles. Mm-hmm. I think there's some different things you can speak about in attack, but 
at least on the defensive side of the ball at, at U of T last year, we defended in a four four two because that's what our players needed in terms of seeing those defensive principles. So I do, I do think it's really, really valuable, even though it gets written off a little bit as um, like big Sam dinosaur tactics, <laughs> but it is there, there absolutely is really useful things to take away from it. So, in terms of a four four two, what kind of players do you think thrive in this sort of uh, rigidity or this sort of basic formation that you know, like you said, is not as common as you go up the ladder when you're playing, but is still fundamentally important to have. Yeah, I, I mean, the the big thing that we saw when when we've worked with it before, whether it's with some of the League One teams we've worked with or or at U of T, is that it really simplifies um, some of the defensive roles and instructions and decisions you have to make where um, your, your defending role, if you're a winger, is very clear in terms of am I tracking the fullback? Am I, am I screening the winger? Am I stepping into midfield? Where when you have that extra midfielder who is – sometimes pressing out to the back line is sometimes screen, screening another midfielder. Those roles get a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're talking about building defensive principles, particularly for young players, if you give them that, that kind of base toolkit of, mm-hmm. okay, these are our two banks of four. This is how we all stay connected and we shift across. And, and then that's where your first exposure of like defending as a team comes from where, it's it's okay. Our our midfield four of the two wingers and the two center midfielders are shifting across and they're connected and we're closing mm-hmm. those channels. Um, that's a really big change from like okay, it's a four three three. I'm just man marking my winger, which is not really conducive to to how it grows going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that like kind of simplification of first roles is huge. Exactly, and I think what I remember growing up was you had a quadrant that you had to be in and make sure that you follow that quadrant, but also move with your line and make sure that, you know, you're providing that support. And I, and I think you're right when you say the four, four, two is that basic foundation there. Um, But as, uh, but as you start to move on and you develop through the different ranks, um, is the four, four, two, like the flat more reasonable, or do you think that coaches are more intended or more inclined to go to a four, like four, four, two diamond or a four, four, one, one, like which of the, the four, four, two variants is, is more like it's, it's better for a coach to, if that's the right word, but better for a coach to, to use in order to nullify a really good team, for example. Yeah, so it it really depends on the players you have. And I think like one of the really important things to get across is that players aren't positions. Mm-hmm. So when we look at when we look at Alfonso Davies, for example, mm-hmm. it's it's not fair to just say, Yes, he's a left back. Well, it's okay, what what are the things he does as a player? Mm-hmm. And then it's okay, what does he do in that role specifically? So when you think about the different variants of a four four two, if you have very traditional wingers who are going to stay wide, they're going to get to the touchline, they're going to attack their fullback, and they're going to cross, and they're going to look to cut back, then maybe you are looking just a flat four four two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, what are your strikers like? If you have uh, 
maybe a big and little, like a pretty old school big and little combination, or maybe you've got one who's an out and out striker and the other one is a little bit more of a false nine. Then maybe it's a four, four, one, one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you don't really have traditional wingers and it's more of a diamond. I think they all give you kind of different things. The The diamond I think is very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in terms of your specific goals tactically, I think, I think you can achieve what you want to do with each of them. I think how you achieve them is a little bit different with each of them. For example, in the diamond, you're relying way more on your fullbacks for width mm-hmm. and that could be rather problematic, uh, but it can also be rather beneficial. depends on how it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it really depends on the players you have and, and what their skill set is suited to. And then it's it's molding that into your your ideas and your identity. Okay. So I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit here. Um you said that the four four two, like the diamond, uh, how is it problematic? Do you wanna just explain that? Um what sort of gaps are are visible, for example, if you're attacking a team that plays that? Yeah, so so one of the big problems with the diamond, and I shouldn't say it's a problem because again, every every formation gives up shape somewhere else, and mm-hmm. and even calling formation shapes is a little bit weird because if you look at a four three three, for example, very rarely do you see the nice bank of four, the nice triangle three, mm-hmm. and the nice line of three. Um, but in the diamond, the big thing is you have very very little width in your front three and in your midfield. So defensively, one of the benefits is that you can really, really squeeze the pitch to one side. So we talk about pressing traps a little bit. And so if they play into their fullback, you can squeeze everyone over. It gets really, really tight, and it's very hard to get off that side, which is is a good thing for you defensively. Mm-hmm. The problem is that if they do get off your side, you're in a little bit of trouble on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's pretty big, pretty big spaces to get to. In possession, there's some issues with with you really do need quite talented and athletically gifted fullbacks in terms of um, they're very responsible in possession for getting high and providing the width because mm-hmm. your your interior midfielders aren't really going to be able to shuttle wide as often as you would like them to. Um, but yeah, the the defensive side of things, it's it's very much requires a lot of a lot of hard running from those eights. Okay. So you're a coach now. Uh, give me three players you think that would fit into a four for two um, very well. That can be anyone from the NWSL, the FAWSL, women's soccer, men's soccer, like three classic players that would fit. doesn't have to be a current player. It could be a past as well. So one, I'm, I'm a big Chelsea supporter and, and one that's really caught my eye so far. And the FAWSL has been Pernell Harder, who, yeah. who Chelsea just signed for Wolfsburg. And I think you look at her where uh, with with her national team, she's she's kind of a striker, but she doesn't really occupy that space traditionally. At Wolfsburg, she's kind of a striker, but doesn't really occupy that space traditionally. You look at Chelsea, and, and she's almost always playing with another natural number nine, whether that's Sam Kerr or Beth England. Um, and when you look at a four four two, it it kind of gives her the freedom to to float and and turn that striker position into if she wants to drop it and become a ten, or she wants to float wide, or she wants to run beyond, and it gives someone like that a ton of flexibility. Um, 
another one I would say if if we're thinking about Canadian players, I think Jonathan David at Lille is another one where not to get too caught up on strikers, but you look at him where he's not a very traditional number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to play with his back to goal. He's not going to link midfield and attack so much as he is going to stretch things in behind. And I think we've seen with Canada, he's very often played off the right where he can can run beyond someone. But I think if you look at a partnership of him and Cavallini or him and hopefully Io Akinola, it, I think it makes a ton of sense for someone like him in a four four two and and enjoying that benefit. Um, another one I think maybe on 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 the the younger age groups if if you look at someone like Liam Fraser, who is is an exceptional passer, an exceptional ball progressor, as a single defensive midfielder, but maybe lacks a bit of the steel and a bit of the the ball winning that you would like from someone in that role. And I think if, if we look back at the really positive result Canada got against the U.S., I guess, last November or last October or so, um, he was one of the best players on the field playing in a, in a true midfield pairing. Again, that was a little bit more of a box than it was a, a 4-4-2, but they're not that dissimilar. So that's <clears throat> sorry about that. that. That's that's our coach's three ideal players for a four four two and its variants: Pernell Harder at Chelsea, um, Leal's Jonathan David, and Liam Fraser. Uh, thanks, coach, for that. Let's quickly move over to the more popular formations over the last couple of years. We have our back threes and our back fives. Um, why have coaches started to transition away from, you know, the four four twos or the four four threes and, and looked more into having three in the back or five in the back? Like why is that more common now? Yeah, I think p- part of it is is soccer is rather cyclical and, and the three five two, if if we think back to the the early nineties and, and the really successful AC Milan teams. And, and Juventus teams is that three five two comes from its ability to deal with a four four two, where you have the three center backs, you're always plus one against the two strikers. You have your wing backs who can engage the wingers and engage the fullbacks quite high. You have your two strikers going the other way, and you're plus one in midfield. You have the, the three center midfielders versus the 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 two center midfielders of a four four two, or maybe mm-hmm. it's a three four three and you've got four players in that space, something like that. Um I think they're I don't want to call them a fad because I think they're really interesting and extremely valuable. I think they're not super common here so much as they are at the top, top levels of the game. Mm-hmm. Um and I think part of that is is how difficult they are to coach, especially if you haven't spent a lot of time working with them. But I do think there's there's definitely a little bit of trickle down when we see teams like TFC win MLS Cup in 2017 playing almost exclusively a back three the whole year. Do you think with with a back three, um, you need to have more defenders on or like you have to have a deeper bench to to deploy this formation? Yeah, I I would probably agree. I think... When you're playing a back three, it it becomes very interesting in terms of personnel because um, when you're playing in a back four, your two center backs kind of have to be pretty traditional center backs in terms of 
their ability to deal with aerial balls, their ability to fly out the channel, to step into midfield. Like you're you're asking a lot in terms of athletic presence mm-hmm. and in terms of reading the game and, and in possession, things look different in a two versus a three. But in a three, you can kind of get away with with different players, particularly in those wide center back roles, where um Again, to, to bring it to U of T, we, we were, before the season was canceled, we were looking at playing a back three this year with two fullbacks as our wide center backs and a defensive midfielder as our middle center back, mm-hmm. where none of them are really the most uh, traditional center backy in terms of their their athletic gifts. But in possession, the way things look, it's it's a little bit more you you can get away with playing those players in mm-hmm. those spaces. So I think in, in general, yes, but it, you can kind of mitigate it for certain. Mm-hmm. So with that back three that you just mentioned at the UFT, is it more so that they're able to win the ball in different parts of the pitch? They're able to use your pace to get back into defending. Is that why you made that sort of choice or potentially that was the choice that was going to happen for this coming year? Yeah, so we, we were in an interesting spot where where we had a really, really stellar defensive midfield player who was just so critical to everything we did in possession um but she she maybe struggled a little bit for mobility and um she had some injury problems where just asking her to be the all-action defensive midfielder we needed her to be was there was just no way you could get through a full oua season and and playoffs and nationals run Mm -hmm. with her at her best and at the same time we had a, a pretty pretty exciting group of really attacking wingbacks um that we thought we could make the most of if we moved to a back three and it 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 was kind of an interesting thing of okay can we save maddie's legs a little bit and Mm. and can we free up some of these these really exciting attackers Mm -hmm. all right well that's that's good to know guys this is again through the coach's mind here um your what kind of players would you want to fit into this into this formation yeah i think the 352 is really interesting particularly when we think about the wide center backs and the um the wing backs i think if we think about the attackers that if you're playing two strikers it's not that dissimilar from a 442 if we're playing a 343 or or something like that with two wingers or two tens it's it's not super different from traditional wingers or traditional tens um but those wide center backs and the the wing backs are so so crucial and and i think like we spoke about with the diamond um those wing backs have really really big athletic asks in terms of can you get up the pitch and support the attackers can you uh recover appropriately and and form our defensive block which is a big ask and i think the same thing with the wide center backs where in possession your role is somewhere between a center back and a fullback um but out of possession it's it's kind of in between as well where you're you're not really marking a striker all the time so much as you are defending a winger in the channel and uh, it's i don't want to be reductive and say pace is the most important thing but I think the the athletic asks in a back three or the the mental asks of reading things super, super quick that even if you're not the quickest or not the strongest, you can make up for it are huge. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I asked you for the 4-4-2s, 
uh, what three players would you would you fit into this formation? Yeah, I think on on the men's side, I think if you look at Alfonso Davies, I think when I look at the the men's national team, I think a back three with Davies as a wing back gets the absolute most out of him as both as a defender and an attacker, where I think he's very, very critical to how much ball progression the the men's national team gets, particularly Mm -hmm. from wide areas. And I think it takes a little bit of the defensive asks off of him, where when you think about how he plays as a left-back for Bayern, they have so much of the ball, and it's so predicated on such a high offside trap that he does very little defending as a traditional left-back in their block. And, and as far as he's come defensively, I still don't think that's quite a strength of his. Mm-hmm. But then going forward, it frees him up to be the the dynamo and explosive player that he is. Um, so Alfonso Davies would definitely be one. Mm-hmm. I think on the women's side, I think if you think about someone like Kadisha Buchanan, who's always played in a four with Leon, but I think in terms of her ability to open play and possession, mm-hmm. I think about her her ability to to sweep out to the channels with her pace, her ability to step into midfield and contest players dropping in. I think that would be a huge benefit to her, whether the rest of the women's national team is suited for that, I'm not so sure. Um, but definitely, definitely could be a huge plus for her. Um, those are kind of the first two. And I I, I know I said Liam Frazier for the 4-4-2, but I also I have a side project that I would love to see Liam Frazier become a center back in a back three, but that's we might have to save that one for another day. For sure. We'll get Herdman onto that one and go from there. Um, so those were Kieran's three players that he thinks would fit in a back three uh, or a back five. Uh, Alfonso Davies at wing back, uh, Kenesha Buchanan, and Liam Fraser. Converting Liam Fraser into center back might there. Um, so now the final variance that we're going to talk about is the four three three, which is more common by you know the national sides like the Dutch, the Italians have done it, the Germans have done it. Now it's more common for teams in the higher leagues to really bring the four four three into into light. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this formation and sort of, or sort of the tactical thinking behind why this formation exists? Yeah, I think it kind of comes from a place of balance where um, it, it gives you a, a, a very strong balance between central density. You have enough players in the middle of the pitch to, to, to dominate central areas and to protect central areas defensively while giving you numbers even or numbers up to control possession in central areas. But you also have the two wingers, the two fullbacks and wide areas who are going to give you the width to stretch things and, and protect things that way. Um, I think it's it's become much more ubiquitous, particularly in Canada, with the the standardization of youth development here. Now it's it's every kid plays a four three three, one six, two eight. Um, yeah. it's kind of the four four two of today. Um at least in, in terms of that. But I do think it, it comes very much from a place of balance. Okay. Yeah, because you have three in the midfield, three up front. Do you think that this formation can easily, on the defensive transition, turn into a 4-5-1 because of how the wingers are positioned, for example? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can do on the defensive side of the ball with a 4-3-3. I think uh, at its basis, you you can kind of think of the midfield three in, in three major ways. You have something like a flat three, which would be something like Liverpool a couple of years ago when they were a little bit more press happy. Um, you can go with the one six two eight, where you have kind of the one true defensive midfielder and the two shuttlers off of off of them. And then you can flip the triangle and you can kind of have the two defensive midfielders and the, the eight or the 10 in front of them. But I think in, in the defensive phase, you can do a lot of really creative things, whether that becomes a four, five, one, whether that becomes a four, four, one, one, something we did at UFT last year was we played a four, three, three with one, six, which became a four, four, two defensively, where one of our wingers would step out to become a striker mm-hmm. and one of our eights would slide wide to deal with whoever was the most attacking fullback and, and you end up with the two banks of four, but in possession, it's still just a regular four, three, three. Okay. So then in that sense, uh, is the four, three, three, one of the most versatile formations because of the way you can attack with it and the way you can transition into the defensive end. Yeah. I, I would probably agree that it's the most flexible mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's, it's really easy to to kind of build wherever you want to go from it. Like I think if um if we if we've watched All or Nothing, the the new Spurs series, you look at Mourinho is nominally playing a four three three with Spurs, but very often Serge Aurier is really, really high and the left back, whether it's Ben Davies or whoever, is really, really low. And it's a four three three, but now it's a, a three four three or a three, five, two, depending where sun is and those sorts of things. And that's just from one little fullback rotation. Mm-hmm. And then you can do similar things with your eights or whether you have a six pop out. And yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's super, super versatile and, and there's a lot of really creative things you can do and, and that we see every week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So same question again, um, pick your three players that would fit into this formation variance. Um, I'll also keep in mind, you know, the attacking prowess of it as well as the defending aspects. Yeah, I think I think because it's it's so versatile, I think you can you can more or less plug anyone you want into it. I think in terms of of players who are maybe a little bit bound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think if you think about someone like. A G so young at Chelsea in the FAWSL. Mm-hmm. I think she's she's really talented attacking midfielder, um, but she probably isn't super comfortable playing in wider areas. Okay. And if you play her in a pair in just a four four two or a three four three, she maybe doesn't give you enough defensively that um, you're super comfortable with it. So I think she kind of needs to be protected in a midfield three. Mm-hmm. Um. On the men's side, I think you look at and any of the top top wingers, like uh, anyone you want to name, really Salah, Mane, any of the Raheem Sterling, any of the top top wingers, where they're just able to get really isolated against the fullback, where they're able to make those little seam runs between a fullback and a center back, and like if we talk about Mane, his his ability to just destroy space and behind coming mm-hmm. off of the left is just crazy yeah um yeah those those two are kind of big ones and i guess like 
actually one one that I've I've quite enjoyed is um, Paxton Pomichol, who's been injured a lot of this year for FC Dallas and MLS, but he's just absolute star on the ball in the in a midfield three, and he's he's very free to to go and be the one who makes the the shape changes happen. Where if he drifts wide, things look a little bit different. If he drops mm-hmm. deep, things look a little bit different. But yeah, he's he's one for sure that I love. Sweet. So for for Kieran's choices there, we have Young from Chelsea FC. Uh, any of the top wingers could fit the bill, uh, namely Salah, Mane, and Sterling, and then Pomichol. You said in for Dallas FC. That's awesome, man. Thank you. So I know you're a coach and you coach at different levels, but you're also a very good analytical brain. So what formation do you lean on the most? Um. I think for me, like one of the things is is that I've I've grown up playing. Uh, I played for for the provincial teams, and I played for McMaster University, um, and I've supported Chelsea. And so, like my my major influencers have been kind of Jose Mourinho, and and my coach at Mac, who were who were four two three ones, um, and kind of the coach at the time that I was starting to seriously get into coaching was Antonio Conti in his three four three. And so I think in terms of seeing how those things work, that's probably where I'm most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of figuring out what shape you want to play, again, like I said, I don't I don't think I, I think it's important to to look at shapes as your 11 players rather than what what numbers are are on the field Mm -hmm. and I think when you think about what players do and what their tendencies are and what their preferences are um, picking the shape for them that accomplishes the goals you want for your specific opposition or your Mm -hmm. specific game model is important for me yeah four four two three one and three four three are probably where I'm most comfortable Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's there's merits to them in terms of the defensive rigidity of a four two three one and the ability to get your fullbacks involved in the attack and it it, it is a different profile of winger than a traditional four three three that I think is easier to mold. Mm-hmm. Whereas the three four three, I think the the ability to have your front three connect and and to almost become a box in midfield to give you numbers up one. But if you're comfortable, they can stay really really wide and. I think it's it's very versatile and is is something that we really like as a staff with the, the gentleman I coach with. Mm-hmm. But I think it really comes down to who are your players, what are they comfortable with, who yeah. are you playing. It, it there's a lot of different solutions for sure. Right. So like it's it's better to look at what your players' skills and abilities are versus saying you know we're sticking to a four four two and you have to have to learn how to play this thing, and that usually means disaster or sometimes it could work but most of the times it's it's not going to work because you're you're molding something that isn't there in the players just yet yeah and i i think it's important to think about like on one hand you're not you don't want to go from we're playing a 442 diamond this week to we're playing a 523 the next week to a 451 and and you're kind of all over the shop i don't think that's that's beneficial for anyone either. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like if, if 
if you don't have like more traditional center backs for a back four, maybe you have to play a back three. Mm-hmm. Or if you if you have maybe sl- like slower fullbacks who are better defensively but can't really give you anything in possession, maybe that pushes you to a back three. Mm-hmm. Um, or or you don't have tr- you have a bunch of great strikers but you don't have any traditional wingers so maybe they have to become wingbacks. Mm-hmm. So I think there's yeah when when you look at those skill sets and and what those players can offer you I think usually s- some sort of solution emerges. Right. And then that's probably why a lot of the top tier coaches tend to change their formations season by season because of the personnel that they bring in and the personnel that they lose. It's it's really based on what they can do with what they have in their hand. For sure. And I, I, I think there's a little bit of, I think there are some coaches who are more rigid and more married to what, to exactly the shape they want to employ mm-hmm. to, to do that. I think that Klopp had a, when, when he moved James Milner to play almost exclusively left back, there were a lot of people kind of miffed about it. And, and he had some interesting interviews, if anyone chooses to go look it up, um, talking about how the skill set between a fullback and a midfielder for him are very, very similar. Um, and it, in terms of numbers on the pitch, it doesn't really matter because the way Liverpool get their fullbacks forward, it's the defensive midfielder, the eight going out to fill those gaps. And now all of a sudden, is it a 4-3-3? Is it a 6-2-1 or whatever crazy shape you want to think about? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Um Based on your, let's say, four-two-three-one formation, uh, build your team for me. You can pick a goalie as well of, if you like. Of anyone in the whole world. Anybody. You can go 30 years in the past and pick um, Roberto Carlos if you wanted, or you could come now and pick a youngster that's still coming up the ranks. It's cap launch for you. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it reasonably simple. Okay. Um, I, won't, I won't pick a GK. But I'll say, I think, I think my favorite four two three one mm-hmm. that that I've watched in in quite some time yeah. is if we think about the the Chelsea title winning team when Mourinho came back the second time time so twenty fourteen fifteen, and I won't I won't go through and pick a, a full eleven, but in terms of that team, I think that's the perfect example of of a four two three one being very, very cohesive and very, very coherent. Um, so if we think about that team, you have Azpilicueta, who's right-footed, playing left-back. So just naturally in possession, he kind of stays home a little bit. At right-back, you have Branislav Ivanovic, who just flies forward and really, really, really gets high in possession, really overlaps the winger. Um, and now it's it's a very natural back three of, of Cahill, Terry, as Bilicotta. Um in midfield you have Matic and Fabregas, which I think when we think about the double pivot in a four two three one is is so important. Where the, the nice thing about a double pivot is one can stay and one can go all the time. And if you think about those skill sets, you have a couple options. You can go a pretty traditional um passer destroyer combo, which mm-hmm. is what that that pairing is, where you have Matic is a pretty accomplished ball winner, but he's no slouch as a passer. He's a real, real underrated passer. And then you have Fabregas, who's one of the best passers to ever play in the Premier League. Um, But again, but he's no slouch 
defensively either. So you have that little bit of balance where if Matic is roaming, Fabregas can sit and it's not it's not a total sieve defensively. And if it's the other way, you have one of the best passers and a really, really tidy ball winner behind him. If you think about um, another pairing with Matic in uh, Kante, it's it's similar where where or it's rather it's the other kind of pairing you can have where it's two similar players who are reasonably good passers but much more dynamic ball winners cover a lot of ground extremely talented defensively and you kind of get away with what's going on before them um and then you have you have oscar as a 10 who's just an absolute press demon super underrated passer who like breaks all the assist records in china now um and then you have hazard and Sherla as your wingers, where you've got kind of, if we think back to how Ivanovic is high and it's almost a three, um, Hazard is a much more come deep, receive, dribble, progress the ball, pass the ball forward. And Sherla is much more of a wide forward who's going to join Diego Costa and get into the penalty area. Right. So I think in terms of 4-2-3-1, I'm sure there's obviously better players than those available, but I think that was one that, I really enjoyed in terms of thinking about four two three one ideas. So yeah, you heard it there. Uh, look at Chelsea's 2014-2015 team when Jose Mourinho had a second stint. Uh, I have to agree with you that team was phenomenal, well deserved when they won the championship, and and you see the the mentality behind the players, their abilities, their skill levels. Um, that is one of the better Chelsea teams of all time for sure. Uh, Quick question for you. I know in the interest of time, um, the the season's canceled for you at UFT this season. How has that impacted you in terms of uh, training for it or preparing for it or seeing your teammates, uh, the teammates that you're coaching? Yeah, it's been it's been really difficult actually. So we we were the generally the way our year works is we play our fall season. We're training every day. Season finishes hopefully middle of November once you go to nationals. And then we're we're almost fully off until uh, second semester, until January, where we're the players need a break, they need to catch up with their school, and then it's the holidays, so most people are going home. Um, and then come the winter, we we work on a a three day a week kind of schedule where we're training two days, and then we're either training or playing an exhibition game on the weekends, and then they have their lifts and and stuff associated in there. Mm-hmm. So last year, I guess the or this year, um, our winter was, was canceled March twelfth, something like that. Yep. Um, so we did nothing in person, only only Zoom meetings where we did some some film. We had some guest speakers come in. We had Greg Vanny come in to give a talk. We had uh, someone from U.S. Soccer who was at the the Women's World Cup, uh, an analyst there, come in and give a talk. We had a, a, a couple of people come in and, and share their experiences to prep for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able, uh, obviously, eventually that was that was canceled. So that was a little bit for naught. Um, but we've been we've been training twice a week since the, the middle of September. Um, now with the new the new government guidelines, we're off for a month again. Um, so we'll see if we can come back in, but it's been really hard where half, half of our team is, 
is at home and home is far enough away from school that they're they haven't been able to participate and it's been it's been very difficult to keep everyone connected and to, mm-hmm. to keep everyone fit and and kind of all moving forward and on the same page for sure for sure well i do hope that something happens and you're able to continue coaching whether that's in the coming winter which i know recently just got canceled but let's say hopefully you get something into the later spring so wishing you and your team good luck with that point of view thank you um so we'll move on we'll wrap this up slowly um in that that's sorry that does com- uh, conclude our, our first ever segment of uh through the coach's eyes uh from our resident coach kieran there So moving on here, uh, the off the bench segment, which is a staple now, we're going to follow the five substitution rule that's very common in most of the European leagues. And that's where we're going to share the five major stories from this past week. So the first story we have is the Portland Thorns won the NWSL Fall Community Shield. The league and Verizon had partnered to provide grants to local community businesses for the top three finishers. With a Thorns first place finish at $25,000, Portland's Mimi's Fresh Teas will get that grant money. So congratulations to the Thorns on a great fall series. Congratulations to Christine Sinclair and her girls for playing their hearts out. It was was fun. Yeah, and and so one, I guess our second story to go off of here is is England's England's chances of moving on through through their group in the Nations League. took a, a pretty big hit after losing one nil to Denmark. Harry Maguire sent off early. Reese James sent off after full time. Christian Eriksen finishing off a penalty for Denmark. I think England are, are in a little bit of trouble and, and I think the, the feel good feeling around Gareth Southgate might start uh might be starting to dissipate. Juventus's Ronaldo and McKinney both tested positive with COVID. Juve is now under quarantine, meaning that even the negative players can continue their training, but they will not be allowed to be in contact with players outside of the the training group. Project Big Picture was uh, abandoned after the the plan surfaced last week with some some reticence from some of the smaller clubs in the Premier League to join in. Uh, the project gave power to the the big six, and, and particularly led by Manchester United and Liverpool. The Premier League is now planning a different way to help the lower league sides in terms of financial assistance. Um, however, the £250 million bailout, uh, which the EFL is seeking to help uh, with the financial support during COVID, is pretty critical to any deal getting done. Recently, the British government rejected Marcus Rashford's latest bid to prevent child hunger. The United Star had raised about £20 million in June, which provided 3 million meals for vulnerable and financial crisis-based individuals. He was given the MBE from the Queen. Uh, Boris Johnson's spokesperson has rejected all of Marcus Rashford's calls, and so uh, obviously the best thing that he's able to do is create an online petition, which is circulated and now has over 100k signings and counting. The signings will now potentially set up a parliamentary debate. So those were our five quick stories, um, major stories, I should say. But that does end our off the bench segment. Before we sign off, Kieran, uh, we'll try and keep this short because I know you have to leave soon. But how did you like Chelsea's additions this past summer? Yeah, I think I think it was very interesting. I think uh, a lot of teams were kind of financially hamstrung 
by the circumstances around the pandemic, but I think Chelsea were, were in a position with, with their owner to go out and kind of splash the money and, and do what they needed to do. I, I think, I think Timo Werner is, is a no brainer buy. Like he's been one of the best strikers in Europe for two, three years in terms of both goal scoring production and his underlying expected production. And, and I think as a presser moving towards that kind of identity is very, very important. Um, I liked the Ziyech move where I'm almost surprised it hadn't happened last year. Um, And I think with no transfer ban, maybe it did. It would have. I think Havertz is is one of the most talented young players in in the world. And I I totally get it. I think to me, he's the one that I think is the most difficult to justify from a a soccer perspective where... Mm -hmm from a tactical perspective where I think he's the most awkward fit into the team where he's, he can't really play as an eight. He can really only play as a 10 or a nine. And if you have to shuttle him wide, it doesn't really work. Mm. Um, So I'm very curious to see how that fits. Thiago Silva, I think you're adding a lot of experience. I, I have question marks over whether he can last in a Premier League season, but I mean, I, I get it if it's on a free and it's a favorable deal. I really, really, really like Ben Chilwell. Even at that price, I really liked Ben Chilwell. Um, and I I am a, a notorious anti-Kepa guy. So so signing Edward Mendy is, is probably my favorite of the lot. Yeah, replaces a guy that doesn't listen to his coach or isn't the most ideal and overpriced keeper currently. Uh, but yes, I agree with you. I think Chelsea's done a fantastic job bringing in some fresh faces and it, and it helps, especially following a transfer ban where Lampard was handcuffed with the players that he was left with. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Chelsea end up this season. Well, that does it for our episode. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast or give us a like or a rating. You can follow us on Twitter at TouchlineTH. You can follow me at Manji, and you can follow Kieran at Kier Doyle on twitter don't forget to follow our network at garage door sport or check out www.garagedoorsports.com for articles news updates um, the network covers a plethora of sports not just soccer but the major sorts around north america and europe anyways thank you so much to our coach for joining us today uh, we hope to have you again soon to break down maybe a, a team in the future Thank you all for listening and we will see you next match day. Cheers.